Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast. And man, Spencer Holbrook, my trusted co-pilot, we finally have a game to talk about for the 2022 Ohio State Buckeyes and not just not just any rummy dummy warm-up game this was against number five Notre Dame Ohio State wins 21 to 10 as we project forward uh, I think we saw a lot of things in that game which bode well for this team some concern to a certain extent but you know what when you really boil it down uh 21 to 10 was a fitting score for that game and some of the some of the challenges the Ohio State offense faced in that game, both uh, from a alignment standpoint defensively by Notre Dame to uh, some personnel situations they had to scramble and fill in for. But uh, just uh, number one, what's your take? And will it be fair off of this game? Because we're recording this, Truth and Advertising, uh, on Monday afternoon. The polls will come out on Tuesday because of the late finishing nature of this Labor Day weekend for major college football. Will it, but will it be fair if the Buckeyes indeed drop to number three like most people project in that first regular season poll? Go ahead. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that, you know, you, you touched on a little bit of concern. I think we'll get into it later, but I don't have any concern heading out of this game. I think the offense is going to fix itself. It's not, uh, you know, it's not one of these things where there will be lingering offensive issues all year. Uh, C.J. Stroud and, and company will get it figured out. Now, that being said, um, as impressive as Georgia was on Saturday, I guess, uh, against an Oregon team that, that was outgunned and outmanned, and Kirby Smart even said they've got better players than, than Oregon. I thought you were going to say they were outsmarted. Go ahead. <laughs> no, uh, I could have said that, I guess, but um, it won't surprise me at all if Ohio State drops to number three. And, you know, to be honest, Tim, uh, I don't think anybody inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center nor anybody on this podcast really cares about the poll in week two. Yeah, but um, you let me interrupt you. You know, some people are going to be saying they're going to be saying, Georgia, I mean, excuse me, Oregon went to Ohio State last year, early in the year, and beat Ohio State, um, blah, blah, blah. And and look what look what Georgia did to Oregon this year. But as as Ryan Day has pointed out, and as we saw firsthand on Saturday night in the horseshoe, the jam-packed, ho- frenzied horseshoe, otherwise known as the shoe, uh, a team can be so much different from one year to the next, right? And a lot of people don't take that into account, especially early in a college football season. They're, they're living off of memories as much as they are what's right in front of them, correct? Yeah, yeah. And if Ohio State played a Bo Nix-led offense last year, I think Ohio State would have beat them by four touchdowns, even yeah. with a bad defense. I mean, yeah. so, wow. you, you know, you take it take it all for what it's worth. But, you know, maybe Georgia jumps Ohio State. Maybe, you know, something crazy like that will happen. But I don't think it really matters right now. Ohio nope. State's focused on Arkansas State. And you, you've got two weeks to kind of get things corrected before Wisconsin comes to town. And, you know, if this run defense keeps it up to him, I don't even know how much of a, a challenge Wisconsin will be for this defense to face just because, you know, if, if they can stuff the run against a Notre Dame offensive line, I think they'll be able to do it against Wisconsin. Yeah, it's funny how you say that because Wisconsin used to be the uh, – <clears throat> used to be the where you measured a lot of offensive lines from from the standpoint of the running game and we'll see how that goes i mean they they've 
they suppose they've gotten better than they were a year ago. We'll see. We'll see if in fact, but that's down the road. You know, I've got a special guest this week, Matt Wilhelm, uh, an encore performance, but about his fourth or fifth encore on the Tim May podcast. And we get in to not just the 2002 national championship teams reunion this past Saturday in Ohio stadium, but also uh, the defense because nobody breaks it down better than him. In my opinion, uh, just, I always enjoy talking football with Matt because number one, he's not bashful about talking about it. Uh, and then number two, he knows what he's talking about. I mean, guy won a national champ championship, uh, won a super bowl, uh, played in the NFL for, for a while. Now he's a, uh, raising a family up in the Cleveland area and getting things done. But I wanted to ask you this real quick before we move to that. Uh, uh, coming out of this, uh, coming out of this opener, the one major concern that I think a lot of people had, and as you and I talked about yesterday on our little uh, Monday look back, look forward piece for lettermanrow.com uh, from a uh, video standpoint, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba has apparently is apparently dealing with a hamstring pull or a hamstring strain of some sort. That's why he tried to show his wares there on the on the sideline uh, after he was taken out, went back into the game for a little while, then they pulled him out more as a precautionary uh, thing than anything else. And you know how, <clears throat> how hamstrings can go. Jordan Hancock is still really kind of coming back from what uh, sidelined him back in the preseason, but all hamstring uh, injuries are not the same. So that'll be something to watch. Uh, but the fact that they play, what, the next two weeks, Arkansas State, and uh, Toledo, I think, gives him a little bit of time to get healed up, right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't think there's any rush to get him back when you talk about the two opponents that are coming up. You know, you can look at what That's Arkansas what State just yeah. did. <laughs> this, Yeah, you can look at what Arkansas State did on offense this past week and throw it out the window because they played a, a terrible FCS school, and, and I still don't trust what Butch Jones can do with the, against Ohio State. And then you look at, at Toledo, who has a good program in the MAC, but – they're in the Mac for a reason. And so, you know, to, to rush Jackson Smith and Jigba back right now um, for any reason in the next two weeks would be, would be kind of, uh, I think, silly for Ohio state. If he's healthy, absolutely play. Yeah. If you're healthy, oh, yeah, play. Sure. But if you're, if you're even considering, you know, taking precautions uh, with, when it comes to the next two weeks before this, the stretch that is late September, early October, there's no reason whatsoever to have him suit up and risk further damaging that and and having him out for, you know, a long period of the season when you might need him in October. So, yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things where you, you want to take all the precautions in the world. And right now you have the ability to take precautions because of the schedule that's in front of you. Yeah. And uh, we'll get into this, you know, we got into this a little bit yesterday. Well, I got into a lot yesterday is uh, we were standing there talking about the, the game and what's to come. I mean, I really enjoy doing those Monday pieces. I didn't get to do that much in the old regime, but, you know, uh, maybe people get tired of hearing my voice, but I enjoy talking about football. And, uh, and you know, boy, Ohio State just plumbing, not really plumbing the depths. I mean, Xavier Johnson was ready to play. You know what I mean? Uh, when he was thrown in there the other night, a guy was a walk-on fifth year, what, in his fifth year or whatever it is now from the walk-on in 2018. He finally has got his shot to – show what he was all about in prime time. And he definitely got the job done playing basically in place of Jackson Smith and Jigba. So uh, uh, it's just interesting. We talked about that Brian Hartline wide receiver room, but boy, did it come to fruition. And and basically from someone who, who 
woke up on Saturday probably not thinking he was going to be as big a factor in that game as he ended up being. And definitely the fans were all scrambling, I'm sure, to renew themselves on who is Xavier Johnson. But that's the joy kind of of covering this team right now. And it. it's kind of loaded with talent. Yeah, yeah. And, and you said it best yourself, you know, another guy that I think didn't probably see himself being on the field much is Jaden Ballard, who ended yeah. up having – two catches one of them went for a first down one of them you know uh helped the Buckeyes get out of a second and 10 and so it's not just Xavier Johnson on the touchdown catch it was you know Jaden Ballard it was Mayan Williams we, we thought waking up Saturday morning we were going to be talking about now CJ Stroud Jackson Smith and Jigba and Trayvon Henderson and instead we're talking about Mayan right. Williams Mike Mike Hall and Xavier Johnson and so and hey, you never know yeah I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, you but, never but know. this wasn't this wasn't against well, this wasn't against a rummy dummy. This was against the number five team in the country, Notre Dame, where they got the job done. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, and, and that just goes to show you the depth of talent that Ohio State has on this roster. You know, you think you've got uh, the superstars held down and all of a sudden another uh, platoon of guys comes storming in and, uh, you know, is able to get the job done. So it's a testament to what they've built, especially on that offensive side and what they're building on defense right now. But I'm sure we'll get into the defense more after Matt Wilhelm speaks. You got it, man. Uh, and, uh, you know, that one guy who's always criticizing me for interrupting people, I'm sure he's already already posted his uh, his comment now. I don't, I don't read those comments uh, except occasionally and whatever. I mean, it's my podcast. I'll interrupt all I want. You know what I mean? But with Matt Wilhelm, there's no reason to interrupt. It's hard to interrupt because he's he's the Tim May of his portion of the podcast when he's on. Uh, Spence, let's, let's listen to former Ohio State linebacker, part of the 2002 National Championship team, a guy who helped me break down what was wrong with the defense last year on multiple occasions on my podcast. And then, and then in the buildup to the Jim Knowles debut, who was on my podcast several times, talking about what he likes, what he likes about Knowles, Etc. And now to have finally seen it live in person and to see them shut out Notre Dame in the second half of a 21 to 10 win by Ohio State. Let's get to uh, the comments from Matt Wilhelm. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, as I promised, an encore appearance by Matt Wilhelm. This is about your fourth or fifth encore, isn't it, Matt? But welcome it back is. to the Tim May podcast, my man. Uh, always, uh, every time I get your text, if I have the schedule, I'm going to make it on because I, uh, I, again, we can talk ball for hours, oh. uh, but uh, especially after a big Buckeye win uh, like we had on Saturday, it's great to join you. And you know why I've got you on, man, because, you know, I had you had you given some feelers about what you think the uh, Jim Knowles defense was going to look like. We had you given feelers about where they needed to change things during the year last year, right after the year last year, et cetera. We're going to get to that in a minute. And I, sure. I would think you were fairly pleased by what you saw. But uh, let's get first, man. You were in the stadium on – Saturday, you're wearing that shirt. That's a, I would think that's a, a, a limited edition shirt right there. Um, and the 2002 national championship team had its 20th year reunion. That's how old you're getting, Matt. Yeah, you're about I how know. Old you're, I'm getting. But uh, you're, you're, what, what was it like to be back in the stadium? Obviously, you've been back many times since. But what was it sure. like being there with your group, enjoying that uh, the accolades once again? It was. It was amazing. And, uh, uh, you know, Mike Doss and some other folks actually arranged uh, an, a, like a kind of like a private event on Friday at the Land Grant Brewery, uh, which was fantastic, where most guys came in a relaxed setting, you know, yeah. uh, having some some great barbecue and, you know, having a couple of beers in front of, a you know, kind of a couple thousand fans that actually paid 
to come reminisce, uh, you know, who, who we were and what we accomplished in that 2002 season. So, so that was great. And then there was a brunch, there was a tailgate and, you know, the recognition at halftime. And uh, it was, it's wild. The guys that you stay in touch with are the ones, you know, that you feel like you're the closest with, but then it's just when you get to these reunions and again, you, you know, you talk just before we jumped on, you know, we don't go to high school reunions and I've never been to one either, but it's just like, you start to see these faces, you know, and it's, and my, my wife asked me like, who changed the most? And I go, you know what? Everyone just kind of looks like a, a 20 year old older version of the same kid that they were when we were 21. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it was great. And uh, I think the most, what was cool for me was to have my wife there. You know, she was there at the 10 year again, you know, we got honored at the halftime of the Michigan game. Uh, but you know, 10 years removed, I now have, a. Uh, at that time I had a four-year-old son who couldn't care less of who I was or what I accomplished, whether it's Ohio state or NFL. Well, now he's 14, he's a football player. He's a freshman high school playing, you know, up here at St. Edward high school and to have him come and meet the guys and meet coach Tress and, uh, meet uh, Maurice Claret and meet some of the guys and then be in the stadium you know, watch us, you know, walk out uh, at halftime and have, you know, Coach Tressel, you know, now we have the best damn team in the land and uh, and have 106,000 people uh, appreciate you. I got, you know, I, I'm not getting, I didn't get teary, I didn't get emotional about all that stuff. But I think the one thing that was wild for me, though, was, and I know a lot has changed in 20 years with the fireworks and the turf and uh, the suites and uh, uh, PSLs on tickets and so on. Um, yeah. It's like, I was like, and I thought I had to say this to my son walking out of the game after a victory. I go, dude, it is wild for me to still think that like I played on that field six to seven times a season for four seasons in a row yeah. and did what I did. So the same way. And it was, and again, and we'll get into it when we get into defense, but like having Tommy Eichenberg wearing 35, being a Northeast Ohio kid. And we talked about him last year and he got off to a good start, you know, and as, as a starter last year, but I think uh, in this Jim Knowles defense and what he did to see 35, making plays, two sacks, three TFLs. It was like, I was that dude. And it was just, it's wild to think. Uh, but then being said, I 20 years goes by fast. But then again, I go, okay, I have three kids. I've been married for 15 years. I've been, you know, with my wife for, for 18. And it's like, uh, I've played in the NFL for eight years. I've won a Super Bowl. It's like a, a lot has happened in 20 years. So yeah. then again, to your point, it, it does make you start to feel old. Hey, uh, Give me, give me two quickies before we move into the uh, the defense thing, because people sure. like the way you sum up this defense one way or the other. Uh, that's that's a that's a, a tease. Um, who 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 were you just most? Uh, you know, obviously we know as you pointed out to me before we started here, Chris Gamble did not show up. You know, in my opinion, and even in Jim Trussell's opinion, they probably don't get to where you you guys probably don't get to where you got without the multi talented. Chris Gamble filling in, you know, he was kind of like yeah. talking windows there, man, filling in yes. exactly the gaps where y'all needed them exactly, offense and defense. Uh, I'm sure well, – I'll ask you the next question in a, in a second. I'm sure you were disappointed maybe to see him not show up, weren't you? Uh, a little bit, yes. And uh, having the opportunity, you know, at that land grant event to, you know, sit with Coach Tress. And, of course, you know, uh, Dawson and I sat together on stage and we, we were together a lot over the course of the weekend and just yeah. – the, the effort that they made to get Chris there. And for whatever reason, uh, I don't know whether he felt like, you know, getting on a plane, flying into Columbus, you know, finding a place to stay, you know, and, and just, because here's the thing, when you know Chris uh, as a person, as we all did, it was like, it, he was 
super low key, very mild, didn't talk a lot, you know, wasn't yeah. filled, wasn't filled, wasn't filled with ego uh, uh, in right. any way, shape or form. So uh, acknowledgement for him was kind of like, ah, I don't want the spotlight. You know, it just, and it's almost like what came with uh, that season. It was, I'm playing receiver. I'm needed on defense. I just went out and did my job and just was in many cases, unless it was even the national championship game, the best athlete on the field. Yeah. Uh, game after game after game after game. And, and you can even see his celebrations. It was just very, they're very subdued. He just dropped back to the sideline and line up at corner, line up at receiver the next play. So um, of course it stinks. And um, most players made it back. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to, you know, either at the event on Friday or at the game on Saturday, uh, a lot of guys, I'd say, I don't know, 18 to 22 of the starters or 18 to 25 starters on both sides of the ball made it back amongst and this is what's really cool is it was the trainers it was the video guys it yeah. was the coaches and i think that's the one thing for me that was also so cool because you know d'antonio with the 10 year was coaching at michigan state you know so couldn't come so to be able to sit with coach d'antonio and talk about you know gosh of course him and i got in the scheme you know got into the null scheme got into like you know what uh, actually the high school my son goes to we run a scheme similar to what he did at michigan state and uh and he knows the coordinator there so we we're we were talking ball, um, Mark Snyder, you know, who also yeah. had coach at Marshall. He's been at A&M. He's been at Florida State. He's been, you know, he's been a lot of places. And was, you know, you don't, a text here and there keeps the, you know, the, the, the connection alive. But until you sit down and, you know, you break bread, you, know, you have a beer and you talk about life again, that was really exciting for me. Yeah, that was cool, man. I mean, wow, what a cool event. And, you know, and I always remind people, you know, it's, there's a lot of guys who spilled blood for Ohio state on that stadium floor, you know, in one form or fashion, literally and figuratively. Uh, but the, you know, you being part of a special group, a 14 and O group, first team to ever go 14 and O in major college football and uh, to get it done the way y'all got it done. I mean, well, yeah. And I just think just what something makes, what different makes about it, that in the 2001 team, right? You see what I'm saying? Right. Well, not only that, but what makes sense, I was thinking about it even last night, knowing that I was going to join you and then maybe just talk about it, you know, with friends and family over the next couple of weeks is what makes that team also so unique is when you go through say the, the 25 starters, right. And certain personnels, uh, 80% of those guys are John Cooper recruits. Yes. You know, uh, but yet, and, and you got you got Kenny Peterson, you know, you got, uh, you know, Donnie Nicky, you got Andy Green, you get these red shirt senior guys, you know, you get Mike Doss staying for his, you know, his fourth year. Yes. Uh, you've got, you've got me, you know, kind of getting injured in the spring and being at my best for that senior season. So, I'll, you know, Krenzel had to take some lumps before he becomes a starter. So a lot of guys, like we almost needed a seven and five season because um, having Trestle come in and having this immediate success the way that, you know, Urban has done it. Uh, gosh, you even saw, you know, Brian Kelly took a lump last night in a close one against Florida State. You know, it almost, it, it, it didn't come so easy to us. Uh, but then again, I think also we talked about the land-grant event. It's, you know, Coach Trestle put the emphasis on the game again, which made it very different, which also started the steamroll yep. of what has become the last, you know, 20 years of Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, which is what? 18 victories, a tie, and a loss, or something of that sort. You know, I don't, I don't rattle it off that well, quick. But lost in um, 2003 and 2011. That's it. You know. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot. There's a well, lot. Well, in last year. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of changes that happen uh, because of the coaching change, and then because of the success of the 2002 team. I'm sure if you went to the next say four recruiting class and said, you know, 
how much did winning a national championship and Coach Trestle delivering a bunch of guys to the NFL win a national championship, increase grade point average and graduation rate significantly from one coach to the next, have a play in you coming to Ohio State? Yeah. And, I, and I'm sure a lot of guys would just nod their head and it was like, it was huge, yeah. which changed the, the, you know, the, the landscape at Ohio State to be competing for a national championship year in, year out. Yeah. You know what? And, and too, Matt, and, you know, uh, Coach Trestle's always been pretty humble about talking about things, about that, you know, about a lot of things, but especially that season. But I had him on my podcast last week and finally he's kind of breaking through with the idea, yeah. embracing the idea that, yeah, that was you guys were the snowball that started rolling downhill for this program again. Yeah. Uh, and the last 20 years have been crazy. I mean, crazy yeah. success. Two national championships along the way. Who should have won more? Well, you know what? Yeah. Between uh, 68 and 2002, talk to me. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, they don't come easy. They don't come cheap. And to see the magic develop. Uh, the and I, also, I think – yeah, I think lastly, the one thing that's great to, you know, to kind of move on was just how many traditions and because every because now it's like you've had urban after Trestle, yeah. you know, I'll say I don't even call fickle really fickle was pushed into yes. that one season, but then Tough urban situation. comes in and, and Ryan Day comes in and how many traditions that started with coach Trestle and that the winning atmosphere that that we created uh, in 2002 that uh, everyone brought every coach brings their own twist urban does things, you know, with the uh, uh, what I don't even gosh, what do they call it? What, oh, Real cows. life Wednesdays, things like that. Yeah. Oh, Real yeah. Life Wednesdays. The, the, yeah. And, the quick and cows. cows yeah. With the with, with, with slags and stuff. Yeah. Quick yeah. cows. You know, Ryan Day does it a little bit different, but, you know, acknowledging the alumni and the and, and the best damn band in the land after every win or loss and running over and, and, and singing, you know, and having the entire stadium sing and the, uh, the walk from the Blackwell to St. John's, you know, to Skull Session and then that walk back into the stadium are all traditions that will probably now last 50 to 100, another hundred years of Ohio state football because of Jim Trestle and what we, and what we helped start and accomplish in 2002. Yeah. And now everything's got a sponsor, <laughs> including, <laughs> including the players. We, that would be another four hour conversation. Yeah. We'll get into that. All right, let's get sure. into it, man. You know, you and I were talking during the season last year, you were almost watching games like this, you know I mean? Yeah. I have my hands over my eyes for you folks listening on the, uh, podcast uh, uh basis but uh, on on youtube you can see this but the bottom line is to january obviously in december uh, ryan day made the switch uh hired ryan, uh jim knowles obviously jim knowles didn't take over till uh till after the bowl game the rose bowl oh my gosh what a what a game right yeah. uh, and we talked about that in the spring uh we were always all curious about what this defense this new 425 defense with a the little nuances in it, the three safeties, the the floating defensive lineman was going to look like and how effective it was going to be in real life, not the spring game. So here we are, uh, one game in the belt. Uh, Notre Dame scores 10 points, is shut out in the second half. I'm just giving the basics here. Uh, to me, I don't care what defense you're playing. That's a pretty damn good night, you know? And uh, Absolutely. So just uh, Matt Wilhelm. What was your sure. take so, seeing so think, this uh, on Broadway and not in Peoria? What was your what was yeah. your take on this defense? I think uh, three three words pop into my brain, uh, you know, in that stadium watching that defense because again, it was it was a major topic because we almost know what to expect from C.J. Stroud in that offense and Ryan Day as a play caller and, and Hartline and those receivers, right? 
Yeah. Uh, it was, it was a huge question mark. And, uh, you know, even in some intimate, you know, text messages with, you know, some of my guys there in Columbus, it was, you know, all this talk about top 10 defense, top 10 defense, top 10 defense. And I'm like, well, hell just be a top 50 defense and have that offense be as good. And yeah. we're going to be a really good spot, you know? Um, but I think I'd say physical, I think aggressive and I think exotic. Um, and, uh, you know, the physicality I thought was not present last year. I do think that, you know, at times uh, that the, the aggressive aspect of defense was almost forced by that staff when you didn't have players. I, I think the players didn't necessarily, they weren't completely bought in. I don't think you had the horses to be able to get overly aggressive because you really never got home. Um, and then I think you, uh, you, 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 you finally have these guys that are, that are bought in. And it, and in some cases it took, you know, running a very similar scheme, D'Antonio to come in and Mel Tucker to come in and Mark Snyder to come in in 02 or in 01 with that, with a change from, you know, Puggett to defensive coordinator and John Cooper and his staff and have these guys go like, this is the way we're going to do it. Yeah. And this is what's expected. And I think that these guys, uh, as, as good as they played, there's a lot of pressure for them. They heard all the noise. They heard all the talk. I'm sure Jim Knowles probably didn't give a, you know what about it because he's fresh and brand new to Columbus. So he doesn't know where to listen to. He's just goes, this is what I'm going to do. This is what they're paying me to accomplish. Um, But I think, and then lastly, the the exotic aspect is we probably got so used to them lining up and looking the same way, with the same guys doing the same things. And now Jim Knowles is going to have, you know, three defensive linemen. When's the last time we saw, the only time we saw three defensive linemen was in like a free vent, you know, when we're, when we're up two touchdowns and we're trying to not give up a, you know, a, a two minute touchdown. Um, but I, I loved it. I think it wasn't overly complicated, but it was just full of physicality and aggressiveness. And then, you know, and I'm sure you have, and, and when you really dig into stats, and this is what I do to kind of legitimize my thoughts and feelings about it, you take away that 54-yard pass on the first play of the game, and you take away the the mag- mag- magical, you know, bobble catch, which is 30, 34 yards on his, on his back. Okay, that's 85 yards. I yeah. think they had 275 for the game. So you give up, and I know you can't take them away, but in, right. in theory, you take those fluky plays away. They have under 200 yards, under probably under 70 yards in the second half. You know, don't score in the second half. They rushing the ball. And I'll tell you what, at times, and I think, uh, uh, you know, being in the stands, the, the, the overall feeling amongst, you know, even the 2002 guys or even in fans in general, uh, as you as you touch base about the flow of the game, it was like, oh, it's like tough sledding. Because the offense wasn't as efficient as we remember them from the Rose Bowl, it was like it was tough to get yards. Notre Dame's got a good front, you know. Um, yeah. and we were and we weren't running the ball the way that we're so used to. And you know, Stroud and his receivers without Jigba, uh, who, you know, unfortunately had that injury, uh, they weren't as efficient as we remember. It kind of carried over to the defense. You go, man, in the defense, it just seems like Notre Dame's just moving the ball. But then when you dig into the stats, you go back through the game flow. It's like no one was really doing – it was a real feeling, feeling oh, yeah. each other out second half – or first half. And this is where I think um, I, I would have thought that Notre Dame, with their esteemed coaches, would have been able to match what Ohio State does. But uh, since I was there as a player, you know, and, and Tim, you've been covering them for a long time, how many times would Akron or Toledo or, or some – you know, inferior opponent kind of play us tough for a first half early yeah. in a season, right? Yes. And it's so say it's 14 to seven, we're up at halftime, but like everybody expects to be 28, 28, seven. Yeah. And it's, you're a little bit like, oh gosh, are these guys good? What are they going to do? But then you go in and you, the coaches have the time to like, to breathe, 
to convey what they're how they're trying to attack us, what we're going to do to counter their attack, and and on hindsight, and then all of a sudden it's like a tale of two halves. We come out mm-hmm. and execute. We maximize, you know, we make one little, I mean, it could be the difference between a guy being in a two eye or a three technique and getting into a two eye and playing through the guard's face instead of playing through the guard's outside shoulder. And you take away their zone read, right? Yeah. Um, It's little things like that. And I think that was the biggest change of Knowles and his staff, you know, figuring out and and understanding what Notre Dame was trying to do, which, and and I didn't really realize this when you're actually watching the game, but uh, but you hear Coach Day's comments and, and some of the other folks' comments and maybe even yourself, it's like, I didn't even realize that Notre Dame was just trying to like keep our offense off the field by trying oh, to like yeah. bleed, trying to bleed and drip on us, uh, uh, you know, defensively. And, and they had a, and they had a good shot, and that's why it was so close in the first half. But then it was just a matter of time for our offense to hit our offensive line to understand and get you know get our get our hands on their front and be able to run the football. And and we all know if we can run the football, what Stroud can do with the football in his hands in the passing game with our talent wide receiver. Um, it was going to be uh, a, a night-night. But as I talked about early, I thought, you know, Tommy Eichenberg, who was named a captain, uh, who's wearing my number, uh, I thought he was a shining star defensively. Um, I think Steel Chambers is still, you know, Steel Chambers at linebacker. I think uh, the ability for our corners, you know, Denzel Burke to just, like, wipe those. And I don't think Notre Dame's all that talented on the outside. Uh, other Again, other than those couple of fluky catches. I mean, I think they had – I mean, looking at the stats, it was those two that we talked about and one other 31-yard kid. It was just yeah. – they tried to force the force the ball, the baby Gronk, the Michael Mayer kid, way too often. But if he's – so he's an NFL-level talent, but they tried to force him the football. I mean, he's got – I probably – I guarantee he had double-digit targets and only had five receptions for 50 yards. So that means our uh, – for 30 yards, our linebackers had him under control. Our safeties were able to run with him and man him up in certain situations. So, I mean, all in all – the great performance. And this is the, the, the caveat associated with all of this for Buckeye fans is a lot of pressure, you know, with is all you've been called out on what you couldn't do in 2021. Uh, you've got a new defensive coordinator. You've got to execute for him. You've got to execute your job. You're playing a top five opponent at home. Um, and, and really like, I don't think we're going to even see how good this defense is going to be until we probably get out of these first five home games. And I know a couple of them are big against Wisconsin. Yeah. They're going to be a challenge. Stop the but like by like week six, week seven, week eight is really when these guys should be firing because personnel will be, have been figured out. You know, Jim Knowles in live game situations will know everyone's strengths and everyone's weaknesses, and they will play, of course, uh, to each other's strengths. And then, frankly, uh, I talked about this tonight. It may be, even if they're going to be great, even if we go compete for the Big Ten, win a national championship this year, I mean, Jim Knowles hasn't recruited one player on this football field yet. Right. You know, and so right. when he goes out, he goes into, into houses and he recruits the body styles and the, the body makeup of uh, of a three-tech or a, a, a specific linebacker or a corner, um, it's going to be, you know, great success. And I think the one um, the one thing that I would say, just because you can't just go, oh, they everything was great. The one thing that I wish I would have saw more of because we have five-star elite talent at it is um, they made some plays, but I, I think our edge rushers didn't win the way that we are so used to seeing our edge rushers win at Ohio State, meaning the Bosa's and Chase Young and you know on, on the edge. I think you know JTT and Jack Sawyer were, were physical and they were aggressive, um, and they hit the quarterback a lot. They just never got there. 
Yeah. And that's yeah. the one thing that I think, you know, as we see, there may be some pre-snap look stuff and, uh, uh, you know, they may have to tweak some of their, uh, their the way that, in which they tech. And I mean, and again, Notre Dame strength is their offensive line. Yeah. Uh, so good for them. And, but Notre, you know, the offensive line doesn't score touchdowns. So I would just like to see, you know, those playmakers, you know, that we expect to be elite uh, in the, in the bullet defense, just, yeah. And I'm sure there's some patience associated with really deliver for us. But I tell you what, you know, you know, uh, they were keeping in mind this Tyler Buckner kid making his first start. He was, you know, decent passer, but he was known also to be able to run. And I can understand yeah. being a little bit, you know, instructing these guys to be a little bit tentative. Don't let him break contain, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean play sure. that way. But boy, what I really like was where they sprinkled in these things like the, the, the slight delay blitz by, uh, the Matt Wilhelm number wearing Tommy Eichenberg just yeah. came clean and popped the quarterback one time. And even on the first play, GT Tui Molowal was right in his the kid's face yes, he was. through that ball. And yeah. uh, so you saw some things there. And then the other thing, which, you know, people listen to me a lot. No, I harp on this on radio and whatever. Uh, there is nothing like, nothing like pressure up the A-gaps. And oh. Mike Hall, you know, you know, yeah. take a bow, Mike Hall, because that number 51, that kid had a game. And, uh, you know, of course, he has the the sack on figuratively the last play that really mattered in that game defensively. But he yeah. was a – I thought he was a presence all night. you you got to like that, right, from a defensive standpoint of just getting that push inside. Absolutely. And I think uh, it's – that becomes – that makes life easier on, on Eichenberg and those linebackers when you have a guy, you know, yeah. dominant, especially because we're in that, you know, uh, Jim Knowles, like three man front with that, that Jack stand up position doesn't quite look like we're so accustomed to it seeing, which is, you know, kind of a strong side defensive tackle on a weak side. He's lined yeah. up in the middle and just his ability to, to put that pressure up the middle is, is fantastic. It will only loosen things up. And I, and I think, as you dig into the schedule and we, you know, now celebrate this win and we have all of our takes and to be able to study what, what happened in the Notre Dame game, I think a great blessing that our schedule works having um, two significantly inferior opponents in the next two weeks, yeah. which will allow, and I hate to say this, and I'm not trying to knock either Arkansas State or Toledo, but it's just going to be the matter of fact, we're the number two team in the country. Uh, we recruit against the top five teams in this country. So we have better talent. We have better coaches. Um, we Jim Knowles in this defense will be able to tinker with concepts. Yeah. Um, tinker oh, yeah. with pre-snap looks, you know, based around what he saw in Notre Dame, based on what, because then you have to look at, you have to do some self-scouting. Well, okay. When Notre Dame was having a little bit of success, why were they having success? success? How were they attacking us? Yeah. And then what you do from week to week is not only do you get your players better, but then you get your scheme, you tweak your scheme and go, okay, we can give a pre-snap look to have, you know, I'll say Hall, in, in, again, in a 2i and then have him shift over to a 1, you know, right before the snap of the ball so yeah. they can't attack. The, there is no bubble for them to attack. Yeah. Or, the, the you know, a backer, you know, bows over or bosses over to strength, you know. Uh, By the way, they, late in the game, they did that with Hall one play. They brought right. him from, from the center's right to the center, literally just off the center's left shoulder. And, boy, what a play that was. I mean, he ends up Buckner – uh, scrambled and and Hall just took that angle right right across the center's face and made the play. You know, and it was like, wow. You know that that you know what I mean. Those are the things that kind of get you real well, because it's just a snippet of what you might be seeing coming. Go ahead. 
It, it, no, it absolutely is. And I think, to, I mean, to your point, the one thing I saw even on the uh, on the Eichenberg sack, yes, it was like a little bit of a delayed blitz. Or we might have had the backing coverage. Yep. We used to call it like a green dog, but it was, it took a little bit of a slant by the offensive line right. to create that space for Eichenberg to fit. And I, I swear to you, you go back to, you know, like that's like a slant defense is like a CYO, you pop Warner football level of, we're going to line up here, we're going to get moving, but that is so black and white compared to what we saw last year. It was, we just lined up and we expected to win that one-on-one matchup time over time. And because we didn't quite have the talent and the scheme, our guys just got blocked Yeah. or they had, it was, it was an, you know, an amazing individual effort is how it took to make the plays where gosh, in the defense that I played in and the great defenses that, you know, Trestle's had in years past and even urban, you know, it's, it's, it's a combination of scheme and player to create a silver bullet defense to put you in a great situation to make play. So oh, yeah. those little intricacies, but again, go back. They will watch this. They will be critical. I think you'll see, of course, some younger guys get an opportunity in certain situations or, you know, guys will be, you know, some of the starters will be shifted around here and there in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so I don't, I, I'd say Buckeye fans should not go like, what's going on? Why are we doing this? It, yeah. There's a method to the madness because, we are still we are still figuring things out. You know, Jim Knowles only knows so much about these guys from what he's seen in practice and what he knows about them in meeting or even watching last year's tape. They played one game. You've got two. I, I'd say this rehearsal type games to get better before Big Ten play starts. Yeah, and you're right, man. On that on that play you're talking about with because uh, I'm just going to bring it up because I I just love this kind of stuff about football. I always tell people watch watch the game from the inside out because that's what. <clears throat> That's what determines what's going to happen. And they had a defensive tackle flash right across the center's face there from the center's yeah. right to left. And it ended up a double team block with the center and the left guard. And Eichenberg just flashed right because the right the right guard was involved with somebody else. And they, had to, they, they had to go, yeah, they had yeah. a fan to the end. They had a fan to the uh um to the jack to the jack backer. So the, yeah. the guard fans, the tackle fans, and it creates that little loop. Yeah. You know, Eichenberg ran tight and sure as heck, just like you just like you practice it, the quarterback standing right there. Yeah. Hey, last thing. Uh, yes, sir. Because uh, I'm going to get you a few times this year, man, because I, I no totally problem. appreciate your analysis. Um, uh, what, you know, we all got caught up in this. Even Vegas got caught up in this. This Ohio State offense is going to continue to rock and roll. The over-under at one <clears> point <throat> last week was 59. I think it may have dropped to 56 uh, the last day. And I'm not I'm not getting into the awe, uh, you know, into the gambling aspect of it. You know, Ohio State was a 17-point favorite, then a 16, you know, uh, ends, up, ends up winning by 11. But I, I wanted to just ask you this. What does it do, what does it do for a football team where throughout the offseason, uh, Ryan Day was the, – the two words he kept preaching, and you touched on this a minute ago, were com- was competitive stamina, which, you know, when you translate that means fourth quarter – Boom, be going like you were in the first quarter. Have that ability to keep guys fresh, whatever. And what does it do for a team when the last, when you dominate the last 20 minutes of a game with a top five opponent? Granted, it was in your stadium, but you were trailing until you get that touchdown drive. And Xavier Johnson, of all people, you know, with these guys on the bench with Jackson Smith and Jigba sidelined and uh, Julian Fleming not being able to answer the bell for the first game. They went deep into that receiver room, and Xavier Johnson, a former walk-on, you know, catches the go-ahead touchdown. Uh, what, what, what I'm getting to here is, but physically, 
that 95 yard drive coming off their goal line. Yeah. But Travion Henderson gets it started. Uh, CJ Stroud keeps it going with a couple of really nice pass plays, including yep. a comebacker to, to, uh, Mayan Williams, Mayan Williams on the sideline. Yeah, yeah, he'd run a wheel, but he was smart enough to come back to the sideline. That was he actually a, had the wheel. He had, and Stroud had the wheel early. Yes, you know, he did, but he, he had to lob it over. But he had, had to he had bail Stroud, out. Stroud, yeah. Stroud didn't give it to him. He bailed out, which is which is great. But Mayan came uh, running uh, back instead of going, "Hey, you know, hit me deep." But but then Mayan Williams just all they could handle, man. Uh, what does that do for a football team that was told it was soft, not physical, uh, couldn't finish? In the two biggest games it played last year, what does that do for a well, team going well, forward? I think it, I think it edifies the message because a coach can can say this team is blank, this team yes. is aggressive, this team's going to be aggressive. We need to be aggressive, but then when you actually go out and do it, it does uh, give you a little bit of confidence that you're able to execute on your coach's words. Uh, but I know, you know, going back and speaking out of personal experience about 2002, how many of those games for us were decided in the fourth quarter, right? It was stupid. State, <laughs> Illinois, Purdue, Michigan, yeah. and um, Miami. And, right. And you point, but you point to what, you know, off season summer conditioning and spring ball and mat drills when you push your body harder than you've ever pushed it before, so that when you get in the game, the game come almost comes easy to you so it's like you've, you've taken the torture uh all off season long to prepare for the opportunity to be in the fourth quarter and i think lastly uh and i'm sure the big schools in the country the clemson's the bamas you know ohio state in general we get so used to cruising yeah. and playing 35 14 and getting the twos and some of the threes in and we're, we're breaking red shirts because the games are such a blowout uh that we take for granted and i know it's stressful to our fan base but that's not real football yeah. You know, real football, it, it, again, if you look at the NFL, you know, there's an immense amount of parity in the National Football League. Yeah. And all the games are decided by, you know, 70% of them are decided by four points or less. Yeah. You know, what Buckeye fans would have aneurysms if every game was, you know, in, down to the fourth quarter. They love the blowout. We get so used to the blowout. And even my son's team at high school level, it's like, oh, my God. Like, we blow up. We won 42 to 8 the first week, and the next game was a close one. They're like, oh, my God, that was so stressful. I go this is football. It's not supposed to be a blowout. Yeah. And I think so to have the, uh, the horses in the stable, you know, like we do from a talent standpoint that um, do not shy away from stepping up in big moments to make that play, whether it's offensively or defensively. And then what Mickey Marotti and that staff has done to have these boys at their best mentally and physically to not shy away from making those plays and being physically strong and, uh, uh, and physically in condition to make those plays as well. Because for us, and I think this was so great about this team is, you know, you had to get some stops in the second half. You had to give the ball back to your great, your, your great offense. And you knew they were just going to make a play. It was very odd for us in 2002. And I mean, Mike Doss talked about it this past weekend for the, you know, the off for the Holy Buckeye play in Purdue. It's like, we, we, the defense wanted the pressure of being able to have to make the stop or make the play or get the pick or force the fumble or get the sack and force the punt to give the ball back to the offense. Yeah. But in that situation, we, I mean, we kind of did, but the game kind of hung in limbo on we win this game only if our offense can go down and score a touchdown. Yeah. It was very odd for us. Uh, but when you, when you play at us at the level that an Ohio state football team plays, it's expected. It's expected for you. And I think it's why you see great players making memorable plays in these crunch spots in sports, uh, you know, and, and, you know, in spots in a game like Ohio State that 
you could point back to you know, that play. Like, for example, if you were, if I had a dollar for every time, I'd have a hundred dollars for every time I said, "Dude, that hit on Dorsey yeah. in the 2002 national championship when you came on that blitz." You know, and it's like when you come free as a linebacker, unabated as a quarterback, you want to make him pay. And I did my best to make him pay. Did I get a sack? No. But he was. Everyone just goes. He was never the same after that. No, he wasn't. You know, <clears throat> so it's your ability to execute a blitz um, in that moment. You know, make that play that has an, you know a long-lasting effect on the football game and potentially the outcome. And you, it has a long-lasting effect on you to execute yes. at the moment you've got to execute. You know, I, I was a, there was a former coach at Ohio State, Gary Blackney, who made a good point one time, and he was talking to me and, and Bruce Hooley just shooting the bull in the hall one day there at the old, I call it the old Woody Hayes athletics there. You yeah. know, it used to look. And, uh, uh, and he said, you know, our job is not to get a player in position to make the play. Our job is to coach him up, to get him in position and then make the play. And if you can do that, you know, with superior personnel, you got something going. And I thought we saw that the other night in that stadium, Mike Hall, would not be denied a few times. You know what I mean? Right, uh, right on down the line. I mean, you're going to give up some plays in modern college football because Notre Dame has some really, really good but, players. But, and, and, another, and you don't go to Ohio State just to be a guy. Yeah, exactly. That makes, that makes tackles. You go to Ohio State to be the dude. Yeah. Like my call my call, one, my call, and Tommy Eichenberg and, 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 and uh, Xavier Johnson and uh, Gukba, like they come to Ohio State – to do what they did and to have this effect on, on the perception of Ohio state football after a win like Notre Dame. Yes. They want their names to be talked about. It's, I mean, again, you, now it's, you get nil money because of it. You get, uh, you may be on an NFL radar now because of it. You now in the eyes of your coaches get more opportunities as opposed, as opposed to them keeping you in a, like Xavier Johnson, for example, was probably in a box of where Heartline and coach day, uh, in an ideal situation would have him integrated into a football game. Yes. Right. When this situation happens, this is when we'll kind of get Xavier more acclimated and, and call on him to make a play. Not on, not on third and 11, you know, inside the red zone. I guess uh, the number five I, and, team in the country. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, and, and I, and I still can't believe after a timeout that Notre Dame brought that double safety blitz against a quarterback like Stroud. I mean, it's the dumbest thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I saw it from a million miles away because I was in 15A, so it was like right there in front of me. And I oh, go, yeah. the second I, the second I saw those twos walk down the walk down and then hit it on the snap of the ball, I go, it's like we're going to go for the, it's like this ball's getting thrown into the end zone. Did you know? Did CJ Stroud have a superior statistical game? No. No. Did he have a game? I mean, that throw to Mayan Williams on the left side like we talked about earlier, that quick read and, and, and this walk on former walk on receivers hardly played at all. at receiver reads the same thing and makes the play. That's what sets you apart, man. Yeah, absolutely. But I think as much as you want to, I mean, as much as coach day and, uh, uh, and, and Stroud put together a plan to spread the football around, there were, there were probably four plays uh, with specific alignments for Jackson Smith and Jigba to basically force him expect and kind of knowing in certain situations what defense we would get from Notre Dame that he was 100% with certainty getting the football. Yeah. And when you have that situation happen where he gets hurt, well then what? Yeah. Now, and you have the players and you have the horses that can uh, that can make the plays. Gotcha. So it's a uh, yeah. yeah, it's awesome. 
And Matt Wilhelm, I'll finish a thought you had a minute ago. When you're making these plays and, and good things happen and you keep making these plays, eventually you might be on a team that have might have a big reunion, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was, uh, again, they have uh, – the table's been set. I mean, looking around college football, Ohio State beats a, a number five opponent in the country. I think Notre Dame, even from uh, – what is what's that gentleman's name from the SEC? Feinbaum? Yeah. Was it, wasn't the biggest fan about uh, Notre Dame being number five and thought it was going to be a blowout. So they played us a little bit close to the vest, but I think we kind of knit, shot ourselves in the foot on multiple occasions with our offensive efficiency and just kind of getting acclimated defensively. But yeah, I mean, Georgia, Georgia looks really good, you know, against a, a not so good Oregon team that we lost to last year. Um, yeah. No, Bama's Bama, USC was USC, but uh, we'll see. I think the, the best take coming out of this is, Hey, a, a win is a win. Uh, you had an amazing setting for recruiting. You, uh, with the energy in the stadium, the rain held off. Uh, you've got you've got deep uh, in the offensive receiver room, yeah. and I think that you know defensively, these next two weeks give Jim Knowles like a a spring ball esque feel to tinkering with his scheme, tinkering with guys in different spots, maybe getting other guys more opportunities because. Like anyway, once you overcome that early hurdle, you know, you, Big Ten play is really when it matters because if you don't win the Big Ten, you don't go to the Big Ten championship game, you have zero shot, and we found that out last year, of playing in the college football playoff. Right. Matt Wilhelm, thanks for joining the Tim May Podcast again, my man. We're going to do it a few pleasure, times this brother. year, brother, if you're up to it. I love it. I, I love I, it. I love the way you break stuff down and then build it back up. Yeah. <laughs> but ladies so and gentlemen, Matt Wilhelm, thanks, Matt. You got it, guys. Go Bucks. Boy, I always thank Matt Wilhelm for being for joining the Tim May podcast, and uh, it's really funny. In the midst of that, uh, Spence, he brought up what you brought up when we were doing that breakdown late Saturday night in the shoe of the game, that video breakdown. That you take away two plays from that game, and you can't take them away, but you take away two plays from that game, and that was about as as nice a debut for a new defensive system and a new defensive uh, coordinator in Jim Knowles and of course, two of the other three coaches uh, are brand new, and Perry Eliano and Tim Walton, the uh, basically the guys who coach the secondary. That's about as nice a debut as you could have, right? Yeah, Tim. And you know, one thing that I want to point out about this defense is Notre Dame had ten drives. Nine of them ended in six plays or fewer. One of those ended up in a field goal, but one of those plays on that field goal drive was the long fifty-four yard completion on the first play of the game. Yeah. So. Nine of the 10 drives Notre Dame had ended in six plays or fewer, meaning Ohio State's defense simply is getting off the field. It's not always a three and out. I think a couple of those first downs, even on the, the, the other drives that were six plays, came on penalty. Yeah. And so you had four three and outs. You had two drives of five plays or three drives of five plays, and you had two drives of six plays. That is – and I don't, I don't want to hyper, hyper, be hyperbolic, but that is – incredibly difficult to do in today's college football where every rule is geared toward offense where everything is geared toward how much how many points can the team score for Ohio State's defense to completely stymie um you know Tommy Reese the offensive coordinator and Marcus Freeman's in offense and you know Tyler Buckner who was lights out in the first half um Michael to do Mayer. what they did yeah yeah they, they do have, what they, they did to this they have what you offense. call a drive sustaining tight end in Michael Mayer and they couldn't do it even with him. I mean, go ahead. Yeah, and to, to do what they did against this offense is, is is very, very impressive. And I don't think Notre Dame's going to have a top 
10 offense, top 20 offense in the country this year. I think they'll be methodical and slow about what they do. Yeah. Um, especially with the lack of talent, at wide or not talent, but lack of weapons at wide receiver out wide, yeah. but depth. Uh, yeah. you know, in any term, it, it is impressive. The debut that this defense had. Yeah. And, uh, uh, just give me your take. Uh, what is that one guy defensively? Don't give, don't name 10. You know what I mean? Remember I was asking you for your player of the game, uh, before the, before last week, uh, before the game last week, give me that one guy that, wow, boy, yes, he either verified something or he really stepped up in your mind on that defensive side of the ball. Yeah, Tim, I think it's difficult to to go with one. No, name one guy. Um, Don't go name five. Name one guy. And it's a guy that, that's not getting talked about a whole lot because he had one tackle on the night. He had one tackle for loss, um, but, but nothing really – uh, on the stat sheet that jumps out to you. But gosh, when you watch the game, he was just dominant. And that's JT Tuimaloa. I mean, this guy has every bit of bend that you want from the defensive end. He's every bit as powerful as you would like to see from your defensive end. He's He wreaks havoc. He he makes plays so others can make plays. He's not in on the play, but he's demanding a, a tackle come off and scrape off to him and block him so that linebacker can fill the hole and make a play. He's disruptive enough to, to take, you know, take on two guys and help a defensive tackle shimmy free Mike Hall and make a play. He's helping, you know, basically block for Tommy Eichenberg to get to the quarterback on a sack. I'm not naming other guys. I'm yes, I'm you are. JT Tuomolo did all of that, and it yeah. was it was impressive to watch him. You know, I I struggled to to try not using this word very often because it's it's just one of those things where you know it, the guy's not actually caged up. You know, so, but it was impressive to see him unleashed um, yeah. on this Notre Dame def- offensive line. And uh, gosh, he's special. And I think he's going to get to the quarterback more often than not this year. I think his stat sheet will look much more impressive um, next few weeks than it did on Saturday night. Yeah. Like Matt Wilhelm and I talked about, it was a split second between between him making a consummate play on the very first play of the game, uh, getting into uh, the quarterback's face and that quarterback getting that pass off and then missed tackle out on the edge uh, by Josh Proctor. And the, the guy went down the field. Lorenzo Stiles Jr. from Pickerington. Uh, but, yeah, uh, but I'll name my guy. My guy was Mike Hall because I think Mike Hall benefited definitely, as you pointed out, from that threat from a JT2 Moloow and others. But Mike Hall played on a on a level that everybody had been whispering about through the uh, preseason. No, some of them were talking out loud about it. But then he delivered exactly the game that you expected from him based on the hype going into the game from some of his teammates. And uh, – Wow, kudos to him. The offensive guy uh, that that jumped out at you, either stepped up a notch or, wow, where did he come from? I'm going to name my, my guy first, Xavier Johnson, to take that away from you. Uh, you wait your turn, you wait your turn. Most people anymore don't wait their turn. After Xavier Johnson established himself as a decent uh, me- member of this Ohio State football team a couple of years ago, he didn't just take that and then run off jump in the transfer portal and find another place to play where he probably could have been a, a starter, maybe on either side of the ball, but definitely on the offensive side. He stuck it out. Bingo, bango, bongo. He got his chance and delivered with the go-ahead touchdown catch, two straight catches, and then following that up with a uh, with a tackle on the ensuing kickoff deep in uh, Notre Dame territory. Uh, man, I've been covering this team for a long time. I don't remember anyone having quite a minute like that uh, on both sides or on one of the three sides 
or two of the three sides of the ball there finally got to it, special teams and on the offense, but quite impressed by him. Who was your guy? Well, Tim, I'm going to break the rule for a second because uh, Xavier Johnson could have what do you mean done for a second. Sam you mean for the third year, third week in a row, but go ahead. Well, I just I want to add a little bit of context to Xavier Johnson here. You say that he could have transferred because he proved some things, you know, and this isn't a knock on what Sam Wiggles did going to Ohio. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bobcat. I pay attention yeah. to the Bobcat. Saturday, I'm seeing developments left and right on, you know, who is this Sam Wiggles transfer, from, yes. you know, to, to Ohio. This is a guy who had five catches for 59 yards, two touchdowns. It was stopped at the one, uh, was one yard shy of getting the hat trick for touchdowns. That's a former walk-on at Ohio State. So all that's to say is Xavier Johnson could have transferred anywhere in the country. And I'm not just saying anywhere that, you know, there are only five or six programs that he probably would not have been accepted at. And he could have contributed in a wide receiver room, but he chose to stay at Ohio State and to see it rewarded the way that it was with that go-ahead touchdown uh, on Saturday night is, is incredible. Because yeah. like I just said, he could have, he could have went, to a max school, to a AAC gone, school, could have gone, and been the, yeah, could have, yeah, and been one of the best players on the offense. Obviously, Sam Wiggles is in a MAC program, one of the best players in that offense. Yeah. So, all that's just you know a little aside plug for. Wait, I mean, you know what also impressed me about Xavier Johnson? He could have been up there, the biggest head you ever saw. On uh, when we're talking to him after the game uh, with C.J. Stroud next to him there, and uh, just the humility he showed. Uh, the eloquence he spoke with about how faith helps him endure everything and anything. Uh, and he kept going back to that. Some people are turned off by that kind of talk. Uh, not me. Cause I believe, I believe these guys that play high level college football have to believe, have to have belief in themselves and in something else to go out there repeatedly, not just in practice, but in games and deliver those kind of performances, knowing that any moment <laughs> can be your last playing the game. You know what I mean? And, uh, I was just impressed by him as a human after that game. Now go ahead. So all of that is to say that my guy that I'm going to highlight in this is not one of the sexy positions. It's not one of the guys who gets the football. It's Paris Johnson. And you will rewatch the game, Tim. I know you're a guy who likes to sit down and watch oh, the yeah. game. Oh, yeah, already did that. Focus on 77 and watch the way he handled seven in white and gold. Uh, because seven in white and gold is Isaiah Foskey. That's going to be a first-round pick uh, by a lot of people's standards. Uh, in the upcoming NFL draft in the spring. And Paris Johnson, in his first career start at left tackle, had no issues with Isaiah Foskey. I think there were only one or two plays where you would even say Foskey won the rep. Um, and most of Foskey's, uh, you know, hurries or whatever you want to call him came against Dewan Jones. And that's not a knock on Dewan Jones. He was facing one of the best defensive ends in America. Yeah. But when you put Paris Johnson against Isaiah Foskey, it was not really an even match. Paris Johnson handled himself as you would expect an All-American first-round left tackle to handle himself against an All-American defensive end. And that is saying so much about how good he can be. Not how good he is right now, because I think he's just scratching the surface having his first ever uh, start at left tackle. If he continues to get better, you're talking about a guy who I'll – you know, I'll be willing to watch against Will Anderson in January. I'll be willing to watch against the Georgia defensive end in January. I would love to watch that. And so he's only going to continue to get better. This first start was a statement start, not for the offense in general, but for Paris Johnson at left tackle because he was really good in the run game too. Yeah. You know, are we getting are we getting too hyperbolic after opening game? Uh, after last year's opener at Minnesota, 
you could say that, you know, uh, if this was over Minnesota, this was over, over the number five team in the country. And now people are going to be talking about how, well, Notre Dame didn't quite get it done on offense. They weren't what you thought they were going to be. Well, you weren't paying attention. Uh, number one, number two, uh, like I just, like I said, Las Vegas got it wrong, both in the spread and in the, uh, the uh, over under a uh, big time wrong. So I'm not ashamed of the fact I picked Ohio State to win somewhere like 45 to, to 23 in that opener. I expected uh, both teams to be coming out firing. I think both teams work, did come out firing, but you saw two really good defensive teams on that field on Saturday night. And, and then as Ryan Day said, you know, I'm not, I'm not just, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid here. He is right, man. Uh they beat the number five team in the country by 11 points, and they did it by basically wearing them down and then owning the last 20 minutes of that game on both sides of the ball. I think you agree with me on that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you look at, you know, the, the toughness, the physicality that, that was needed to get that, win, that, get that win, you know, under their belt. They showed it. And, yeah. uh, you know, you, t- you talk about a program that wanted to define itself by something other than talent, like Ryan Day said. It's not just a bunch of four and five stars from Florida, California, Texas, and Ohio. These guys are are tough. And, uh, you know, one thing that I did want to point out, I think the pro football focus grades came out today. Um, and, you know, take those for what they're worth. They're, it's analytical and it's, that's, they're good and fine. I use yeah. them as a resource uh, as part of my resource. It's not the only thing that I weigh, but, you know, uh, I think it's just J Jason Amadeola, the, the defensive defensive tackle from Notre Dame who said, that they were the toughest, baddest MFers, uh, you know, in the country. I think he had the worst rushing run defense grade of anybody on that defensive line. And I don't think that's a knock on him because I think he's a really good player. I think that's a credit to Luke Whipler and to Matthew Jones and to, uh, you know, uh, Donovan, Donovan Jackson, Jackson. Who, who decided, yeah. hey, you know, we've got something to say about that. And, and, you, and the toughness showed. And, uh, you know, Ohio State – for for all the the heat that it took, it it kicked Notre Dame's you know what in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um. But on both lines of scrimmage, it kicked Notre Dame's butt, and uh, that that's not something we could have said about this team last year at, at any point, let alone at the beginning of the season. Yeah. And as I wrote about story that you probably going to drop, uh, you probably dropped late Monday or early Tuesday on the LettermanRoad.com site. Competitive stamina. That's what Ryan Day pushed the entire offseason, and that is a big umbrella, takes into account conditioning, toughness, uh, keeping your head in the game. Uh, it came to it came to the fore. That is a win for Ryan Day, Mick Marotti, uh, and these offensive and defensive coordinators and staff, uh, coaching staff, to get that accomplished because that was what was missing in those two big games last year was just they got shoved around the field and seemed to kind of lose their way from a concentration standpoint, maybe even a panic standpoint. That was not the, the case against Notre Dame. They were trailing deep into the third quarter against Notre Dame, took the lead, and never looked back. That's the way you want to finish. That's called competitive stamina, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, they, they're going to have to be able to show that all year. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we look forward to seeing you again next week. I always enjoy Spencer Holbrook joining me in that co-pilot seat. He sits up high. He's ready to talk. And uh, Spencer, thanks for joining me again, my man. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. It's it's great to always be in the cockpit here. And thanks to my thanks to my good friend Matt Wilhelm, man, for breaking it all down for us. Uh, few do it better than he does, 
Uh, so until next week, this is Tim May for Spencer Holbrook. We'll see you then. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.